What's up, guys? I want to give a shout out to all the people that have been listening to the podcast for the last two full years, actually three full years. And I also want to give a shout out to all the new people. If you like the podcast, if you're enjoying the content, please subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend or family member. Now right to the episode. Seeing those ads, the, the, they're old. I mean, uh, they're not on anymore, but there was a guy who did this ad for a, you know, like a sponge-like product called ShamWow. Uh-huh. I've heard of it. Yeah. So you got to Google that and see that guy because you got okay. that energy. Thank you. I appreciate that, Dr. Hammer, MD Hammer. Yes. Thank you. you call well, me quick. I, uh, I feel grateful to have you on the podcast today. Uh, to all those people that are listening on Spotify, Audible, or Apple Podcasts, my guest today is the one and only MD Hammer. Greg Hammer, a professor at Stanford University School of Medicine, pediatric intensive care physician, pediatric anesthesiologist, mindfulness expert, and the author of Gain Without Pain, The Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals. It's always a pleasure having a conversation with someone who's deep in the game, who's intelligent, and my viewers love having conversations about mindfulness, about personal growth, about health, and I think you are the epitome of the type of guest that they want to hear from. So MD Hammer, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast today. Great to be with you, Zach. Awesome. So, you know, I'm not really sure exactly how we should start this conversation, but why don't you start by telling every everybody about your book, Game Without Pain, the Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals? Sure. Well, I'll start by saying that I believe very firmly that happiness is our true nature. And why is it that we're not happier? Well, our happiness is apparently veiled by the way our brains are wired. And this is something that has transpired over tens of thousands of years of evolution. And two examples of characteristic of the way our brains function, one is we all have a negativity bias. So we tend to hold on to things that are negative, thoughts that are negative, remembering experiences that are negative, and forget about all the positive ones. So we tend to think, oh, my back hurts. And we focus on that when we're getting out of bed instead of all the wonderful opportunities that this day represents. And I'm going for a hike with a friend today and I'm going to be in the forest and it's going to be wonderful. But no, we're thinking about our back pain, right? So, or we're thinking about an uncomfortable interaction we had with somebody else. So we tend to think of the negative at the expense of the positive. And the other, uh, another way that our brains work, Zach, is that we're very distracted and preoccupied with thoughts of the past and the future in ways that are maladaptive. So it's adaptive to think of the past as we savor the wonderful times. And I remember tomorrow how great it was meeting you on this podcast. That's adaptive. It's adaptive even to think of mistakes that we've made to the extent only that we don't repeat them. But it's maladaptive to dwell on those mistakes. Here's where our negativity bias creeps in. And we think of all the things that we shouldn't have said or shouldn't have done. We judge ourselves harshly, and we have regret and shame and low self-esteem because we overthink the past in a negative way. And the future, similarly, it's adaptive to plan for good times, to plan to put bread on the table, as it were. But beyond that, we, with our negativity bias, tend to catastrophize. We think of the worst thing that can happen. Now, for me, in my profession, as I you know, work with critically ill children, it may be adaptive to catastrophize at work and think of the worst thing that can happen so I can plan to prevent it. Sure. Most of us, and when I get home from work, it's maladaptive to have this negative preoccupation with the future. And so the fact is that our brains have this these sort of 
difficult qualities, but we also have a wonderful quality that's called neuroplasticity. That means we can change the way we think. And so we need to be intentional. And I'm going to reference one of my heroes, Dr. John Kabat-Zinn, who is really one of the founders of mindfulness, if you will. He started a mindfulness-based stress reduction program at the University of Massachusetts in the late 70s for people with chronic diseases that were refractory to conventional treatment and they had depression and so on. He defined mindfulness, and I, I would submit that this can be the definition of happiness, as awareness of the present moment on purpose, non-judgmentally. So here are three at least important, important principles. One is awareness of the present moment. It's actually the only moment that we ever experience, right? Right. Everything else in our consciousness is just thoughts and thoughts come and go. But the present moment is what we truly experience and that's where happiness resides. And that's where mindfulness is. That's the focus of mindfulness is to be present. Right. On purpose. Why on purpose? Well, that's the reason that I sort of laid the groundwork by saying that our brains work with a negativity bias and with preoccupation of the past and the future. So if we're not purposeful, if we just sort of relax and lapse into our default way of thinking, it's going to be negative and preoccupied. Uh -huh. so we need to be purposeful about the way we think and therefore the way we are. And non-judgmentally, so awareness of the present moment on purpose, non-judgmentally. Why non-judgmentally? Because our brains are very analytical and we're very wary. Think of early Homo sapiens 50,000 years ago, sitting in a cave, keeping the fire going, and there might have been a saber-toothed tiger lurking outside the mouth of the cave. And the caveman or woman had to be wary of that possibility. There was constant danger. Oh. And the wary individual tended to live longer and procreate more. And therefore, the genes that encoded for these characteristics of the sort of negative, wary way of thinking propagated in the population. So here we are 50,000 years later, and this is hardwired into the way we think. So again, the good news is we have this quality called neuroplasticity. If we're purposeful, we can rewire our brains because we no longer have a saber-toothed tiger lurking outside the mouth of our cave. We don't live in caves, most of us. And granted, some of us do have that threat going on, but most of us don't, and we're very fortunate, and that's a source of gratitude, that most of us live in a pretty safe place. So non-judgmentally, let's drop the judgments. Things don't have to be good or bad. We spend a lot of energy that is wasted uh -huh. enabling things. And with our negativity bias, we tend to judge things around us, other people, and most importantly, and most harshly, we judge ourselves harshly and negatively. So awareness of the present moment on purpose, non-judgmentally, these are expressed in the gain method. Gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. Interesting. I knew you were going to somehow tie it together. I, I was waiting for you to close the loop and put a beautiful <laughs> point on it. And the present is there, no pun intended. Okay. But, <laughs> you know, there's so many different ways I want to go with this conversation. And, the, you know, there's so many metaphors and analogies and real world situations that we could reference that, you know, kind of just culminate everything you discussed. But the one thing, the story that comes out at me 
when it's like non judgmentally is that story of the guy and the horse and his horse runs away and someone says, Oh, that sucks. Your horse ran away. Like he goes, Oh, maybe so. And then a day later, the horse comes back with another horse. And then the person goes, Oh my God, that's so amazing. You now have two horses. He goes, eh, Maybe so. He gets on the horse. He falls off the horse. He breaks his leg. He's paralyzed, whatever. They go, Oh my God, you're paralyzed. That sucks. He goes, Eh, maybe so. The next day, they come and they're drafting people for the war or battle. And he doesn't have to go to war because he's now paralyzed. And they go, oh, you're so lucky. You don't have to go to war. And he goes, oh, maybe so, right? So, you know, there's no point in judging anything. And, you know, it's so hard for us as humans to live in the present moment. And obviously, we all acknowledge that it's the only moment we ever have. In the past, we experienced the past in the the present. And we're going to experience the future in the present. But this is my question for you. Is it natural for us to live in the past and future? Or, or has society somehow with 401ks and politics and money and social media just got us away from the present moment? Well, I think, Zach, that our true nature is that of the newborn. The newborn doesn't know anything about time, space, good, bad. They are just present. <laughs> they And when you look at that beautiful little body, they are just radiant. And actually, I think the same of the person on their deathbed who may have some dementia, who's just totally present and looks up at the family members surrounding their bed and says, I don't know who you are, but I know that I love you. And again, this is the person who's not thinking about what happened yesterday or tomorrow. They're just thinking about the fact that they are sharing love with these other people. And I think that's really our natural state. We're born that way. We exit that way in in many cases. And our true nature is to be happy. It's just that, as you suggested, those social forces and other forces make us overly distracted with the past and future and and with this negativity bias. Yeah. And we could think of all the ways that that happens. And I think the factors that you mentioned, social media. So... When we engage in social media, and not just you and I, but rather the human humanity at large, there's a lot of judgment, for example. Tough. Right? Look at how divided we are, not just social media, but the media in general is so polarized. Yeah. Each side is judging the other side. And that's just... So what is it about... You you might want to think that it is sort of something natural about that, because... It does seem to be the way our brains go. Mm-hmm. It's you know we call it human nature. Is it really our nature to be ungrateful, resisting painful things, uh, unintentional and judgmental? The opposite of gain. The opposite of gra- grateful, accepting, intentional, and non-judgmental. I don't know. I think that's a you know that's a an age-old question. What is our true nature? But I like to think of our true nature as just happiness and being in the present moment. And this gets sort of, you know, in a perverse manner, it gets sort of uh, hijacked by us, by the things around us. Right. And to piggyback off of the polarity when it comes to the media and politics and things like that, you know, you think it's because ego gets involved. You know, when I think of like someone on social media, like a girl, for example, who has 500,000 Instagram followers and she sees a girl that has maybe a million Instagram followers and she's judging that person or, you know, this side is judging that person. It's because everyone thinks that they are right, right? Everyone thinks that their opinion 
is the opinion that is the most accurate. And do you think that ego has to come into play? And if ego does come into play, how do we disidentify from ego? And I assume there are some mindfulness practices you can share with us that might help us access that disidentification of ego. I, I, am I completely off base here? Or? No, no, you're, you're spot on, Zach. I think that ego, a way of looking at what is ego is it certainly involves centrally a sense of the separate self. I am the separate person. So, you know, the way that we bolster our ego is by judging other people negatively, putting other people down. You know, if we're insecure, that makes us feel better. You don't see somebody who's perfectly at peace and present criticizing other people or judging other people. You know, you, you mentioned the Instagram circumstance where one person has 5,000 followers and the other person has, you know, 5 million followers. I think what might be the predominant reaction of the, the first person is, I'm not good enough. I'm inferior. And it's that sort of low self-esteem and insecurity that leads to categorizing other people, trying to bolster our self-image by putting other people down. But here's the thing. Ego is based on the notion that we are a separate self. And if we think we are a separate self and that we appear at some point, we live a life, and then we disappear. We are going to be very fearful, insecure, unhappy, anxious, because we are the separate self. What happens when we die? Right. You know, if you think that you're just this separate entity and you're apart from everything else, you know that's a, that's a pretty scary notion, and that's really the basis of ego. So the obvious remedy for that is recognizing our true nature, that we are not the separate self. And, and you know, this incredible production on Netflix called Fantastic Fungi talks about the, I don't have you seen it? I, I've seen a little bit of it. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, you got to watch the whole thing. I mean, the, the one of the beautiful things in that production is that the reality is that fungi are everywhere. They're like right below our feet when we're walking outside and they form this infinite lattice network, kind of like the, our brain cells, our neurons, and all the connections they have and so on, but even more extensive. And they really cover the earth, and they have almost an infinite number of connections. And it's really one grand mycelium. And actually, when we die, we kind of return to that mycelium, right? That's what happens when our bodies break down and so on. And so in a way, this is very reassuring that we're simply part of this infinite lattice work that underpins the very earth itself. It's a living, breathing thing that is almost impervious to climate and other forces external to it. And the notion that we are part of this and, and maybe temporarily taking a different form, but returning, in fact, to the great mycelium, yeah. reassuring because we're not separate. We're all joined. Circle of life. This thing is a separate self. And so the gain way of thinking and being is simply acknowledgement of that. Yeah. Now you keep using the term separate self. And I want to hone in on that for a second because obviously I'm sure you know about Eckhart Tolle's work and Michael Singer's work and this idea of consciousness awareness and the idea that we are not our body and we're not our mind. And I don't know who it was. It was either Seneca or Aristotle or someone who said, you know, um, uh, I think, therefore I am. And actually, it was neither of them. It was ne Who was it that said that? <laughs> I wish I could tell you, but uh, 
Anyway, long story short, yeah. I am not Zach Rance, five foot nine and a half, you know, 168 pounds with a six pack. No, I'm the awareness that I'm in this body, right? I'm not my thoughts. I'm the awareness of my thoughts because I have the ability to change my thoughts. When I walk into a party, for example, and I see six foot four men who have bigger biceps than me, right? And I and I and I get very, you know, my ego gets hit hard. I'm like, oh my God, XYZ. Sorry, I'm getting a call. Dang it. Um, I'll edit that out. Sorry about that, uh, MD Hammer. Um, so <laughs> I lost my train of thought for a second. And I don't know if this is you a go up to the party and the guy's got a bigger biceps and yeah, an and, and, and it, my ego. I have the ability to exercise my free will to see that thought pattern and disagree with it. Right. It's well, like I'm even you- gonna go, I'm gonna go you one further. You don't have free will. I mean, here's what I think. There's two ways of there's two models of the universe. One is the materialist model, and that is that consciousness, awareness, being arises from the brain. So we are this collection of molecules that you know form tissues, that form organs, that form our human body, and we are a separate self, and we have a brain that's composed of neurons and you know subcellular material that forms the neurons and this idea of consciousness, awareness, being comes from the brain. Is These that are, true? No, that's one model. Okay. That's, what so do you that, believe? You believe that our mind is from the brain? That's the prevailing model. The other model, which I embrace, is called okay. the conscience, consciousness only model. And that is that consciousness, and you can substitute the word God, love, awareness, higher power, being, being sure. The universe consciousness is primary, and we are just temporary modulations of consciousness. Right. And I would use an analogy of the universe or consciousness being like a river, and we are akin to a little eddy in the river, right? We were made of the river. You can't take the eddy out of the river. The eddy just sort of seems to arise spontaneously, is very temporary, and then yields its energy back to the river and disappears, apparently disappears. It's never gone anywhere. It never arose and disappeared. It's just part of the river. It is the river. You can't take it away from the river. That is us. That is Zach. Zach is a little eddy in the river, which is consciousness. Consciousness is primary. And everything else is just a temporary modulation or change in the shape of consciousness. You can think of the ocean being the universe and consciousness. And there's a wave and there's little, we could be either like the wave, very temporary reshaping or modulation of the ocean or consciousness, or maybe the little spray that comes from the wave. We're this temporary little droplet that's really not separate from the ocean and it doesn't appear, disappear. It just, it's a, a modulation of the ocean. And so... I think that consciousness-only model makes a lot more sense to me. It, the materialist, reductionist model uh, just has too many holes in it. Yeah. Yeah, like, who, who said that thoughts come from the brain? Wh- whoever said that, you know, you, you put two together and you always think that the brain has to do with thoughts, but who, who says that that's the truth? Now, let me ask you this question. If somehow, some way, medical professionals were able to switch your brain with mine, and your brain went into my skull, and my brain went into your skull, and you woke up the next day from surgery, would you be Zach? Would you have my biases of the environment and money and politics? Or would you still be yourself just with my brain in your skull? I'm going to have to 
blow that out of the water, Zach, by saying that I disagree with the premise of the question. There is no Zach. Okay. There is no Greg, a.k.a. MD Hammer. There is only consciousness. So, you know, now you can kind of get into the picayune details and, and reductionist way of thinking about what happens if your brain is in, quote, your brain is in, quote, my body. And I mean, that would be a fun experiment. But in the end, they're just a couple of eddies in the river of consciousness. And, you know, I suppose if that brain and this brain switch places, the eddies would take different shapes. Okay. But at no it, time is there really a Zach and a Greg. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, we, we can go back and forth and no words can do it justice. Like words are just signposts, right? So even the way you, you, we use the term consciousness, we use the term awareness, we use the term emotions, we use the term thoughts and mind, but somehow there is still a disconnect. You know what I mean? As far well, as like- I'm going to leave you with this, Zach. Please, I'm going to leave please. you with the notion that silence is God's language and everything else is a poor translation. So yes, words are a concession to what is real. Words are a concession to consciousness. They're not, you can't accurately describe how you feel, right? And the words that you say that describe or attempt to describe how you feel are not going to be understood by me in a way that informs me accurately of the way you feel. So yes, we use words. I mean, it's a tool, but you know, we have to concede that we're missing something by, by the yeah. words that we use. Right. Okay, so let's let's get back to some emotions real quick. And I know you're super busy. I want to just get five more minutes of your time, but I want to I want to hit home and I want to bring some value to the audience. Obviously, this has been such an amazing podcast so far. Um, to all the people who might have just chimed in, maybe you missed the introductory. My guest is MD Hammer, uh, Stanford uh, <laughs> professor, School of Medicine. So let's talk about emotional intelligence. Let's talk about appreciation and acceptance and gratitude. Now we have free will, and I know you don't believe in free will. But is there some way that we can feel appreciation by changing our thoughts? And if so, how do we do that? Zach, you got to read my book. Okay. Gain with not pain. The gain is an uh, gain is an acronym for gratitude, acceptance, intention, non-judgment. So it starts with sitting down in a comfortable place, closing your eyes, hopefully in the morning after you've opened the blinds. And getting in touch with your breath, slowing it down, this reduces your heart rate and blood pressure and the adrenaline in your body. And then you go to your gratitude. So yes, gratitude, appreciation. Uh, we have so much for which to be grateful. So when you focus on gratitude, you're actually already beginning to rewire your brain away from this negativity bias, right? You're focusing on something positive. And, you know, tonight when I do my little gratitude thing before I go to sleep, I'll do my little game practice. I'll, I'll be grateful for this time we had, Zach. I've just already just enjoyed having you as a friend and, and being on your podcast. So I'm grateful for the opportunity to connect. It's a connection. Yeah. It's a little bit of a loss of my sense of separation is connecting with Zach. Okay. And so I'm grateful for that. And then I go to acceptance, the A in game, because we have to acknowledge that there's pain in life. And so suffering as the formula in my book would have it, equals pain times resistance. So the pain is there. You know, I lost my son. We've all lost loved ones. There's pain. When we resist it, when we try not to think about it, when we depersonalize the other, there's so many ways of resistance, we increase our suffering. Yeah. So in the gain practice, we take something painful, we bring it in, 
We open our chest. We open our heart. We envelop it with our heart. We nurture it with our heart. We right. ask ourselves the question, can I live with this pain forever? And the answer is yes. And we've dropped our resistance and decreased our suffering. We move to intention because as we've said, our brains are wired to be negative and distracted. And so the good thing is we have this property called neuroplasticity. We can rewire our brains, but we have to be intentional. If we lapse into an unintentional way of being, we go to negativity and distraction. So we use our intention to focus on the present moment and be more positive. Go back to the gratitude, be more positive. And then we go to the end in game, which is non-judgment. We might picture an image of the moon or earth su suspended in space, one of these beautiful NASA images of the earth. And we remind ourselves the earth is neither good nor bad. Things do not have to be good or bad. The earth is neither good nor bad. It's just a planet. And it's only rational for us to then look at ourselves. I am neither good nor bad. I'm simply the human that I am. I am simply that I am. I am. Yeah. And we reconnect with the breath and slowly open our eyes. So I think, you know, we're ready to go out in the world. And the thing is that we've already begun to rewire our brain. So when we find ourselves being unappreciative or ungrateful, a light bulb goes off. We remember we did our gain practice in the morning and we pledged to be grateful. So we redirect our thoughts toward gratitude. We snap out of it. When we find that we're resisting pain, we see somebody who's in a wheelchair and we think, oh, they probably did something to the, you know, maybe somebody who's on oxygen, you know, they smoke cigarettes or we depersonalize them so that we yeah, can't. No, we drop that. We're, we're, we're resisting the pain that other humans are suffering. And then we go to, you know, we find we're being unintentional. We're lapsing into this distraction. We're going over and over and over with something we said yesterday that embarrassed us, that we're ashamed and we have low self-esteem. A light bulb goes up because we did our game practice that morning and we realize we're lapsing into this unintentional way of thinking. So we go back to our intention and the present moment and we have a little laugh at ourselves. And same thing with judgment. We find we're judging the guy who change lanes ahead of us without using their turn signal, and we start to make judgments about them, and we recognize that we do it because that light bulb goes off, and we smile, and we let go of that thought, we have a little laugh, and we remember that, hey, you know, it doesn't do us any good to judge that guy. We might have done that too. So right. drop the judgment. And so, yes, this practice gradually rewires our brain, and we become more aware of the present moment, more aware of our purposefulness, more aware of our ability to be non-judgmental, and slowly but surely we see ourselves as the eddy in the river of consciousness. That's it. Well said, Doc. Well, to all those people out there uh, that are listening on Audible, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, head over to Amazon.com. Get your copy of Gain Without Pain, The Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals by Greg Hammer. MD Hammer, with gratitude, thank you so much for your time today on the podcast. This was nothing short of a pleasure, and uh, I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Absolutely, Zach. You know where to find me. It would be my pleasure, and it's been it's been lots of fun. Thank you. Thank you. Talk Keep soon. up the good work. Appreciate it. What's up, guys? I want to thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We have hundreds of weekly listeners, and I want to make sure that everyone listening is hyper aware of how I can serve them best. So if you're interested in hiring me as your life coach or hiring me as your nutritionist, or maybe you just want to get some free advice, head over to lifecoachzack.com, book a free 30-minute consultation, serious inquiries only. And I would love to ask you serious, open-ended, powerful questions that are going to help you pivot your life in a better direction. Let's co-create an action plan and really step in to the greatest version of ourselves. 